Come on, everybody give God some praise in this place. Come on, give God some praise in this place. Come on, somebody, God is the audience of one today. He is looking to see not whether there's praise going on on the platform, but is there praise in the pew? Amen. Amen. We bless and thank God for today. Thank and bless God for allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. Good morning to everybody. We greet you in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Man, what a great joy it is to be with you. I want to thank you for your prayers. For last week, I was with the Greater Exodus Baptist Church uh, with uh, Pastor Herb Lust III. He succeeded uh, my pastor there, and we had a great celebration of his first anniversary. I want you to keep my nephew in prayer, uh, that God will continue to bless and use him in a powerful way. Let me say good morning to everybody who's watching today. Thank you today for the privilege of your time, for being with us wherever you are, allowing us into your personal space to inform your head, inspire your heart, and encourage your spirit to be all that God wants you to be. As was stated earlier, and some of you may have missed it, you're not watching to make us a big church watching to make me a big preacher. I'm here to help you be the biggest and best Christian that you can possibly be. That's our goal. That's our objective. And I want you to like us, love us, share us with family members and friends. Let them know there's never been a better time for hope. Let me ask all of the veterans in the house. We have any veterans. Would you please stand? We just want to recognize you on today and thank you for your service. All of the veterans. Amen. Thank you so much for your service. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, on tonight, on Real World, Real Talk, I want you to spread this word on tonight. We're going to be talking about benefits for veterans and specifically how to help veterans get their ratings up so that they can get what is rightfully due them and help them to access major laws have changed because they saw so many veterans who have been fighting for what they should have been given when they finished their term of duty. And many of those soldiers went home and uh, passed away because of illnesses that were contracted because of their wartime service and their armed services, uh, their service to the country. And so we're gonna be talking about that tonight. So if you know a veteran, uh, it not only applies to veterans, it also applies to widows of veterans. So if that veteran has passed already, uh, his dependents uh, can also have money retroactively. Somebody say retroactive. That's, that's usually a good thing, right? When they go back retroactively and um, they will begin payments. And so this is real money. And I'm having a couple of guests on tonight to talk about how to access that and we're looking forward to that. I want to congratulate all of the students and parents who came out for the Horace Scholarship Fair. I want to thank um, my wife. She worked really, really hard to help make this a reality. On Friday, we were with the A-Leaf Independent School District, Superintendent Mays, and then on yesterday, we were at Booker T. Washington High School and that was intended for HISD, um, and we got we got in there late. It's been it's been trouble. 
uh, which y'all already know that, right? But we're grateful that we were able to get in. And right now, uh, the estimates are some $20 million in scholarships were made available to these young people. Amen. Um, PWIs, HBCUs were there. And uh, there were schools like Payne College and others that literally did admissions on the spot. If a student came and they had their transcript and they had their SAT or ACT score, uh, they were given admissions on the spot and scholarship commitments on the spot. And so you can imagine how some of those kids who didn't know how they were going to pay for money uh, for school walked out in uh, many instances with full scholarships. Amen. With full scholarships. Yeah. We uh, <laughs> and one father, they were going to take a picture with the daughter. I said, Dad, you better get up there, too. That's your scholarship, too. She said, Daddy. That's going to save you a whole lot of money. He said, you know, you're right. I didn't think about it like that. You better get up there. And so uh, we're certainly grateful and thankful to the Lord for that. I want to thank God for all of our new members. I want to thank our discipleship coordinating team. And specifically, I want to shout out the I Will groups. Um, this is part of the ministry of discipleship here, part of our discipleship culture. And so when men and women become part of our church and they're in between rooted groups uh, the group is too far gone or it's a ways away um, this is a way for us to connect with people and to be able to link arms with them and we're grateful for all of those who are part of the I will ministry all of those who have participated all of those who are facilitators man we're thankful to the Lord for that now listen we're coming to the end of the year and I know many of you are tired. Man, it's been a tough year. It's been a long year. And we're getting ready for the first of the year. We are in week 10 of our Rooted Worldwide series. And I've got to tell you, God has done some amazing things, not just locally and nationally, but internationally around our discipleship ministry. And we're getting ready for purpose-driven life. Everybody say purpose-driven life. Now, listen. I had somebody say, I, I want y'all to know why we're doing this. It's really important. We went back and looked at our church. We talked to several members who talked about what was a seminal moment in their walk with God. What curriculum was used that just helped spark them in terms of their walk with God. And one of those that consistently came up with was purpose-driven life. Now, let me tell you what somebody said. Somebody said, well, pastor, somebody complained because they said we already did purpose-driven life. You know how long ago we did purpose-driven life? Y'all, we didn't even have this building next door when we did purpose-driven life. And we moved in there in 2005. But, but here's the other thing, and I want y'all to tell somebody this. They say, oh, we already did this. So you read the 23rd Psalm one time, you don't read it ever again? You, you sit there and say, oh, I read the Bible already. I don't need to read it no more. How many of you know God constantly speaks to us by the power of the Holy Spirit? And how we hear him is many times dependent upon where we are in our life journey, right? There's some things, man, that God's been telling you for 10 years, but it just got through your thick skull in the last 10 minutes, right? It's just God just told you, you say, oh, man, I never thought about it like that. Right. So we want to constantly 
constantly prepare ourselves. Those of us who have done Rooted more than one time, um, I think can testify if you did it with fidelity, man, that second time around was deeper than the first time, you know? You started seeing some stuff and looking at some stuff and praying about some stuff. And so uh, let's get ready for purpose-driven life and Rooted. Don't forget, you have to do Rooted in order to be ready for purpose-driven life. That's just the order, the sequence that the Lord has led me to do them in. And we want to make sure that your spiritual life is building one journey on another. I want you to keep in prayer the Gentry family, Brother Willie Gentry, who has been uh, battling illness for some time, went home to be with the Lord. I want you to pray for Sister Gentry and their daughter, Hilda. Uh, they were there with him and Brother Gentry's longtime educator, um, just a great brother and wonderful human being and got a chance to go by and visit him on several occasions and we're praying for his family and then I want you to pray for the Rose family. Um, Reverend Darrell Rose, his father, Pastor Gilbert Rose went home to be with the Lord and um, both of their home goings are going to be on Saturday. Brother Gentry is going to be here. Reverend Rose's father is going to be at the Fellowship Church and we'll make sure we have ample coverage for both and that we are standing there um, by the side of our brothers and sisters during their time of bereavement. Rooted and grounded, make some noise. Man, we are grateful and thankful to the Lord uh, for this session. And I got to tell you, boy, I, I, I had to catch myself because every step God has done something else. And I was saying, man, I said, I, I want to double our numbers in January. What I mean by that is I want to double the number of states where we're impacting people. I want to double the number of countries. Um, I want to go from 12 to 24, from three to six. And I said, Ooh, I don't even know if I want to ask the Lord that. And, and the Lord just reminded me like, why are you putting limits on me? Right? Cause I'm saying to God, God, this is amazing what you're doing. I don't know if you can do this and continue to grow it. And God said, why are you putting limits on me? So I'm like, okay, Lord, we're going to let you do whatever you want to do. Uh, we've got a great testimony today from one of the sisters of our church that I want you to hear that I hope will inspire you to continue your journey to become all that God wants you to be. Let's hear from my sister on today. been coming to Good Hope over 40 years. I would get out of elementary school. Me and a group of kids would come from the neighborhood. We would come past Good Hope. The church mothers would be out there. They invited us into the church to Bible study. I joined Good Hope and 
I just started coming every Sunday. I will come in the morning and I will leave in the evening, in the night, two, three services. And later on, I got baptized by Reverend Kimball. And I kept asking the Lord to show me how to be more involved in the church because I was not involved in the church. I would just come as a silent member. So I was reading about Rooted and how the experience would lead me into knowing how to get involved with the church. Therefore, I joined Rooted and Grounded and I started the meetings and the journaling. And the first meeting with my facilitator, I was watching her passionate about speaking about God. And I was thinking, I wonder how long does it take for that feeling to know how passionate you can be about God. One day, out of the blue, I, I just got overwhelmed with feelings. And so I didn't understand it, but I could feel the Holy Spirit coming because I asked God to send the Holy Spirit to me and to show me how to have that compassion. Strongholds, oh my God. My strongholds, I didn't realize those things were called strongholds. I didn't realize I was holding them so, so hard and close to my heart. I was able to know that I have to let them go. I cannot let them control me because the strongholds were really draining me and pulling me back and stopping me from doing things I wanted to do. A lot of things that I wanted to do to serve God more those strongholds got in the way. There's a lot of outside things that were holding me back. But now I'm able to know that the Holy Spirit is with me, God is with me, and I'm just overwhelmed with the feeling and the passion that I have when I just didn't understand how my facilitator displayed that. I didn't know how long it would take, but I understand that feeling. And I'm so grateful for the rooted thing and grounded that I know that God is with me and God has covered me and will be with me forever. Man, man, man. Come on, come on, let's thank God for that testimony. Yeah, she had a great facilitator too in her group. My wife actually was her facilitator and uh, did a great job. Come on, y'all thank God, I thank God for my wife, amen. She, she does a great job facilitating me too, so amen. Praise, praise God for that. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we bless you and thank you for today. Uh, we pray now that you will bless both the preaching, teaching, and hearing of your word, that your word will find fertile ground in our hearts and minds, we ask you to have your way as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on last week, Reverend Ronald Peters stepped in, and I appreciate him doing such a great job sharing with you about this idea of sharing our faith, witnessing to others. What does it mean to not just uh, talk it, but really to walk it? Because as you have probably heard the saying, your actions speak so loud, people can't hear a word you say. 
This week we move to week 10 and, and week 10 focuses on why is the church important? It's a question that is asked. Why is the church important? And as we look at our society, we look at the times that we live in, I think it's very easy to see that there is a conflict between being a Christian, being a real Christian, being a Christian who loves God and who wants to live right and do right and treat people right. There's a conflict between doing right and all of the wrong that's in the world. Uh, when Paul writes to Titus, he says in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. First Peter 2.9 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a treasured people, one that God values greatly. In the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches us that our outlook on the world and what we deal with should be radically different from that of the world. He, he talks about the world, for example, praising pride and discounting humility. He, he talks about the world endorsing sin instead of celebrating righteousness. And, and when he talks about believers, he talks about you and he talks about me, he says, we have been saved, we are this peculiar people, and he has called us to be who he created us to be. Now, there is a sense when we talk about our walk with God where we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, but there are some things that God has called us to be from the, better, from the very beginning. Now, we might be able to better be what God has already created us to be, but we don't have to become who we already are. Some of y'all looking at me real strange, like we lost you, Pastor. In, in, the, uh, in the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5 in particular, Jesus uses two images to describe who we are to be as his children. He says, we are to be salt and we are to be light. He uses these two common elements that everybody would be familiar with. Today, I want to uh, do a little preaching worth repeating. I preached this message some nine years ago as I was researching and getting ready for today. And I said, I think this is one that uh, all of us can be reminded of, especially as we go into the Thanksgiving season and get ready to go into the Advent season. Who is it that God has created us to be? So as we ask that question, why is the church important? I wanna to talk today from the thought, how to be salt in a dying world. How to be salt in a dying world. Now I've talked before about how to be light in a dark world Today, I want to focus on what it means to be salt. Everybody say salt. Guys, one of the things we have to understand is that when the Lord uses imagery to describe who we are, he does it so that he can make this 
message as plain and as simple as possible so that everybody, <coughs> so that everybody can walk out and say, oh, I can see how that works in my life. Why is church important? Here's what you and I need to understand and I want to remind somebody of. Whenever the Bible talks about church, whenever the New Testament talks about church, church is never a reference to a building. It's always a reference to people. Even when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he is not talking about people, I mean talking about a building, he's talking about people. God wants you and I to recognize that we have a responsibility not to go to church, not to come to church, and not to have church, but to be church. And when we make a commitment to be church, being church is more comprehensive than coming to church. How many people do you know, maybe you tell on yourself, who will come to church and we manage to act somewhat holy and civilized for two hours a week. But God help us when you catch us Monday through Saturday. Matter of fact, if you catch us too late after service on Sunday, trouble might be in your way. Uh, I remember some folk, for example, they would say on the first Sunday, say, no, 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 I can't do that on the first Sunday. So why can't you do that? Oh, it's communion Sunday. I can't do that. Like you got to be holy on communion Sunday. But all the other Sundays you can do whatever you want to do, right? Jesus says, in essence, because you are the church, you are important. Like your life matters. Your life matters to the kingdom work. God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. You are who Jesus died for, and you are the one that the Lord wants to use to turn people's lives right side up. But you've gotta be who God made you to be. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to realize you are salt. You are salt. Verse 13, Matthew 5, the ESV translation, says, you are the salt. Stop right there. In the ancient world, salt was highly valued. Uh, the Greeks called salt that which is divine. The Romans said there was nothing more useful than the sun and the salt. And one of the great compliments that could be paid to somebody is when they said, uh, that person is the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus says, you are the salt. It's in the indicative mood and the present tense and the active voice, which means this is who you are. This is not who you are to become. He says, this is not something you hope to be. He says, you are salt. You are salt. That's who you are. And when you determine to be the salt, God says you make everything around you better just by deciding to be who God made you to be. See, I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that there's a whole lot of you who are salt, who don't recognize you are salt, and because you don't recognize who you are, 
you haven't been who God created you to be. Or some of you may have stumbled upon it. And somebody may talk to you and they say, man, you know, we love when you come around. Man, come around more. Because they're sensing and or seeing or have experienced the benefit of your salt. Right? He says you are salt. Look at number two. He says you need to realize not only that you are salt, but you are the salt of the earth. That's what he says in Matthew 5, 13. Now, here's why I wanted to emphasize this and specifically emphasize it separately. It's not enough that you are salt. But you got to know where you're supposed to be salt. He says you are the salt of the earth. Can I tell you something? Most Christians, when they give their life to the Lord, listen carefully, they are preoccupied with getting to heaven so much so that they become sometimes so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. We have taken this idea of heaven and taken this idea of glory and we're going to get to heaven and we're going to sing when we get to heaven and we're going to shout when we get to heaven and we're going to walk around heaven all day and I can't wait to see Jesus when I get to heaven. But Jesus wants you and me to live in such a way that people, watch this, while you're trying to see Jesus in heaven, God wants you to live in a way so that they see Jesus on earth. He wants people to see the God in you. He says, so it's not just the person of who you are, but it's the place where you are to make a difference. You are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church, not the salt in the church. You are to be the salt of the earth. Um, I remember on one occasion, I had an opportunity to go to one of the uh, transportation facilities where all the big trucks for the city, you know, go in and out. And they had a huge, huge pile, looked like about three or four story pile of a salt based product that would be used once the roads got icy. And I said, I said, wow, I said, man, that's amazing. How, how much can you cover with that? And they told me how many, you know, square miles, square feet they think they can cover with that and how many trucks could come and use and load up and take that out. But guess what? None of that salt product would make a difference if it stays in that pile. It's got to be distributed. Listen. Your best salt should not show up here on Sunday. Your, your, your best salt should not be in a ministry. Your best salt should be in the world. That's where people should see that you are salt. Watch this. There are many different kinds of salt. Some of you who are cookers, you, you know this. Uh, you have kosher salt. You have sea salt. You got flake salt. You got smoked salt. You got seasoned salt. 
You got Himalayan salt. You got pickling salt. You got rock salt. You got table salt. You have salt-based products for your face, salt scrubs. And these salts have various consistencies, various potencies, and various usages. But here's what I know. One thing all of these salts have in common, they make no difference as long as they stay in their box or in their package. Makes no difference. That salt, in order for it to be effective, has to get out of the box, has to get out of the package. Y'all, when we come here, we, we in the package. We in the box. Ain't no need us exchanging salt with each other. God says, you are the salt of the earth. That's why he says in Matthew 28, Beginning at verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the... See, here's what's interesting. Many of us look at the world and look at its problems and we think we're not big enough, we're not influential enough, we're not powerful enough to change the entire world. But Jesus says, when you be who I created you to be, you can change your world, right? Your, your concentric circles of contact, those people that are close to you, how are you doing in being the salt that they need you to be? Here's the third thing. Number three, you need to realize as the salt of the earth, you have the power to make a difference. Everybody say power. One of the tragic things in life is when people have power to do good and they don't use it. They can watch evil and watch bad all around them. They have the power to make a difference, but they choose not to. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the salt of of the earth. Salt is not just who you are, but salt is who you are supposed to be. And when you are salt, you have the power to impact those you come in contact with. So here's Jesus. He uses one of the most valuable commodities in, in a very real sense. Since salt was arguably the most valuable uh, uh, element you could have in the ancient times. And there were three reasons that salt was so important, and it carries over to you and to me. Uh, a, you must be a person of purity. Salt purified things. Salt made things better. Salt was a cleaning uh, element that was used to purify things. And one of the characteristics of the world in which we live is a lowering of standards, so much so that we need something good to show up to remind us 
of what is bad. You know what I've learned in life? If you stay around bad so long, you'll start calling bad good. Yeah, I, I, I love it when people say, oh, he was a good person, and, and he really wasn't. He was just a proficient sinner. And, and because he learned how to sin, they said, well, well, yeah, but he was just a nice guy. He was just a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, but you got to be more than a nice guy, right? He says you got to learn how to live in a way that, watch this, when you show up, you change the atmosphere for the better. You, you bring a purifying presence. But B says you must be a person who preserves. You must be a person who preserves. Uh, in the ancient world, salt was the commonest of all preservatives. It was used to keep things from going bad, from spoiling, and from rottening. I remember growing up on our farm, and when it was um, hog killing season, um, you didn't have enough freezer space to put you know, these hogs. You didn't have enough refrigerator space. And so they would take some of those big meats, uh, the hams and, and the loins and the like, um, the bacon, and they would smear them with salt and with pepper, uh, smear them with salt and inject the hams with salt to make sure that it didn't go bad. And then they would smear it with pepper to make sure it kept the flies off of the meat, especially in the summertime, right? It was a preserving agent. Listen, as salt, you and I have a responsibility to do our part to keep the world from going to hell. The, the world is already on its way to hell. How do we as salt help keep the world from going to hell, right? How do we be who God wants us to be to help preserve things? I think about, for example, um, people who are ready to argue and fight and, and how do we intercede? How do we help make a difference by being the salt that God has called us to be? Here, see, you must be a person who adds positivity to make living in the world better. Positivity. Arguably the greatest and most obvious quality of salt is that salt gives flavor. Salt makes things taste better. Uh, so much so that if you have problems with your blood pressure, you are looking for salt substitutes, right? People don't sit there and say, uh, for the most part, some people do, but many people, they don't say, oh, no, I'm not going to have any salt. I'll just eat the food as it just, just, just cook it with water, oil, and that's it. I'm, I'm just going to eat it like that. No, you, you, you need a little flavor on that. You want some pepper. Uh, you, you want some salt. Um, if it's chicken, you want some hot sauce. Come on, right? Uh, you you, 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 you want to add some flavor to it. And, and here's what's interesting about Christianity. Uh, most people connect Christianity with taking the flavor out of life, not putting flavor in life. Most people, when they think about Christians, they're like, oh, you can't have any fun. You can't laugh. You can't do anything, right? Uh, let me give you some quotes here. Roman Emperor Julian believed Christianity took the vigor and vitality out of life. Uh, listen to his words as he complained about Christians. He said, have you looked 
at these Christians closely, hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all. They brewed their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. That noted American statesman Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered in his diary, I have been to church today. He, he wrote this like he was surprised. I have been to church today and am not depressed. Uh, we, we are known to be some of the driest, deadest people in the world. And, and it's interesting that a people who have been given so much love seem to struggle to give love, right? It's interesting that we have the peace that passes all understanding, but we can't seem to live in peace and give peace to others. We know that our joy should be full in the Lord, but it seems like we have trouble being joyous even though God has given us joy to live with. He said, you are to be salt. Just like salt is the food, you ought to be salt to life. You ought to bring a little different flavor, a little different taste to life that some people may not be familiar with. Jesus says, discover the joy you once had that you lost. In this decaying world, be the source of life, be the positive influence, be be the difference maker that I have called you to be. Look at Mark 9:50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Colossians 4:6. Let's read it together. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So salt comes into what we do. Salt comes in to what we say, and we should be positive whenever we show up and whenever we talk. Here's the last thing. Number four, you must intentionally be salt by doing all the Lord commands you to do. You must intentionally be salt by doing all the Lord commands you to do. I want you to circle that word intentionally. Verse 13 says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus refers to salt and he refers to it as if it has lost its taste or it became bland. But here's what we know. Salt, by its definition, can't lose its saltiness. Salt, by definition, is a chemical compound, sodium and chloride. One sodium, one chloride, 
equals salt or table salt. If you remove either one of those elements, it's no longer salt. Somebody said, well, wait a minute. How does salt then lose its saltiness? Salt loses its saltiness, listen carefully, when it stops interacting with what's around it. See, salt is not salty to anybody who's not tasting it. So in other words, if I put a box of salt up here on the table and I say to you, is this salt too salty? You don't know if it's too salty or not. Why? Because it's in the box. If you don't taste it, then you won't know how salty it is. If you don't utilize it, you won't know if it has the properties that it has so you might as well just throw it out and do nothing with it if you don't take it out of the box. And here's what Jesus says. Each of you are salt. But you are not exercising your saltiness. Now you say, wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, let me give you some ways that you can lose your saltiness when you don't love the way God loves uh, when you don't live in a way that pleases God when you don't pray when you don't serve when you don't give when you don't share your faith with others when you don't work to make yourself and others better when you don't worship and live for God and make God your priority you are literally throwing away your saltiness. It's not that you stop being salt. You just are not being salt. Like you still are salt, you're just not being salt. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, uselessness is unacceptable to God. If you are not being salt, then you are good for nothing. Who in here wants to be a good for nothing Christian? Right? Think about that. You a Christian. Good for nothing. I love the Lord. Good for nothing. Come to church every Sunday. Good for nothing. I'm giving him praise. Good for nothing. We had good church today. Good for nothing. Because remember, salt does not show its best work in a salt storage facility. Salt's got to get out in a decaying and dying place. That's where salt shows its best work. Look at James chapter 2. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works. 
and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works is a saltless faith. I want to encourage you today to be the salt that God has made you to be. Be the positive difference maker in every conversation, in every situation. Man, make the commitment to be the positive difference maker. Man, if somebody wants to go low, don't go with them. We, we already know in your flesh you can go lower than they can go. You can show them new depths of lowness, amen. No, 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 we don't want you to do that. We want you to be salt, to be the witness to the life-changing power of God. Stories told of a father who had three daughters. His daughters all declared their love for their daddy. One daughter told her daddy she loved him more than all the gold in the world. And daddy looked at her and smiled with his approval. Second daughter came to him. She said, Daddy, I love you more than all the silver in the world. He looked at her, smiled. And nodded at her. The third daughter came and said, Daddy, I love you more than salt. Gave him a kiss and walked away. And he looked, had a quizzical look on his face. She loves me more than salt. He said, what, what was that all about? Well, the child's mama, the mother heard what the daughter said. And she decided she was going to help that youngest girl out last daughter. So she cooked that night and put no salt in the food, in any of it. And when it came out, her husband looked at it. He said, my God, this looks amazing. This looks delicious. And he dove in and started eating. And he said, man, this food tastes bland. It tastes like nothing. You, you ain't see, you put no salt on it. I can't eat this without some salt. And the mother told him that's what the daughter was driving at when she said she loved him more than salt. She said, your daughter wanted you to know that nothing in life is good without you. When you think about life and you think about who you are, my hope and my prayer is that somebody would say, nothing in life is good without you because you are the salt in my life. Old song we used to sing some years ago, song said, may the work I've done speak for me. And if God decided to do an investigation to see what kind of salt you're being in the world, I wonder if he would even find enough evidence 
to be able to indict you for being a salty Christian? Like, would he be able to say, yeah, yeah, there's evidence there. There's salt. There's salt on their job. There's salt in their home. There's salt in school. There's salt in their marriage. There's salt with their children. Are they being the salt that, that you have, God, that you have called them to be? Or would somebody say, they're a good-for-nothing Christian? Think about that for a minute. I can come to church, shout, holler, run, jump, sing, pray, preach, and still be a good-for-nothing Christian because I'm not being the salt and the light that God has called me to be. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And when we leave here, that's when we become the best version who Jesus created us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word, God. Um, there's a sense that the church is really to be a salt factory. And the world is the marketplace in need of salt. And too much salt is being stored and locked up at the church. And there's not enough salt being sent out into the world. God, I pray that you will bless to help us take that charge serious. Bring back to our remembrance this message so that as we go through our day-to-day -day journey, you will encourage us to be the salt that the world so desperately needs. We bless you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.